Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to show number 273 from Engage for Success. You're listening to Engage for Success from Blog Talk Radio, the radio show for the UK's largest not-for-profit movement uh, with regards to employee engagement. And we're all about shining a light on best practice in the topic. And we're certainly going to be doing that with today's guests, who I'll introduce to you in a moment. I'm Jo Moffat. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts of Engage for Success Radio. And, um, and we'll be hosting a show for the next half an hour. Um, and today, uh, what we're going to be looking at is the outputs of one of our specialist TAGs. Um, now, TAG stands for Thought and Action Groups. Um, many of you will know that uh, one, of the, one of the areas that Engage for Success particularly focuses on, as well as regional events and networking, is um, to focus on particular topic areas with um, what they call Thought and Action Groups, or TAGs. And this particular TAG um, has been running for a while and has been looking at barriers to engagement um, within organizations. Um, and um, we're at the point now where we're joined by two representatives from that tag to share with us uh, what, what has been discovered, where they've got to, and, and how the outputs are going to be shared more widely across the uh, movement. So I'm very pleased to welcome today from Ashridge, uh, Sam Wilkinson, who is Product Development Manager at Ashridge, and Sharon Olivier, who is Discipline Lead for People and Talent and Senior Faculty in Leadership Development at, at Ashridge. So, Sam and Sharon, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It, it's good, good to have you. And we're going we're gonna to have to cram a lot in, I think, over the next 30 minutes because I'm, I know that there's a, there's a lot to talk about with this. So let, let, let's not um, hold ourselves up any longer. Quick introduction from you. Sharon, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your role at Ashridge? Yes, I've been at Ashridge for about four years. I'm actually South African and uh, ran my own consulting practice as an organizational psychologist for 20 years in South Africa and then joined mm -hmm. the Ashridge team, uh, becoming part of a bigger community of like-minded people. And my specialism is, is really in HR and leadership development. Um, specifically around the inner world of, of leaders and how important it is for us to manage our own engagement and our own emotional well-being and psychological well-being to be able to be a good leader. And that, that led me in an interest in, in, in how leaders engage others, you know, how they light the fire in the belly of mm -hmm. their people to really, to really get the business results that they need. So I've been actively researching, teaching, and designing programs in, in, in the leadership development space. Okay, lovely. Thank you. And Sam, can you just give our listeners a little bit of an insight into your role and you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so hi, I'm Sam. I've been at Ashridge for three years. Um, I currently, uh, I, work, I work in um, a research position as a specialist brought in Amy and Sharon with this project, mm -hmm. um, but moved over to the product team last month. So in my new role, I'll be getting some of our amazing research into the classroom and helping to design um, new sessions around our latest thinking um, and some of the research we found at Ashridge. Okay, lovely. And now you mentioned uh, Amy there, Sam, and I know she's not yeah. able to join us 
um, today. But are, are there really have there really been the three of you then that have sort of led this from uh, from Ashridge's perspective? Yes. So from Ashridge's uh, perspective, it's been the three of us. Um, Amy Armstrong was leading it um, based on our previous research, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Sean will tell you a little bit about. Um, yeah, and she's one of the senior faculty here as well. Okay, lovely. All right. And I know there's been some commercial um, alignment on this as well, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll come on to in a little bit too. But perhaps I can ask you then, Sharon, um, first of all, to just give us a little bit of an introduction to this research, how it, how it came about, when, when it came about, and what was the, what was the driver for it, really? Well, you know, this interest started originally with, with Dr. Amy Armstrong uh, in 2014 when she mm-hmm. collaborated and uh, the partnership started with Engage for Success with the first study that she did with seven C- 17 CEOs called Engagement Through the Eyes of the CEO. I and, remember um, it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that research was always something that needed some follow-up and some deeper work because um, we wanted to reach a far bigger audience and we're particularly interested in exploring an area that nobody else has explored, which, well, that few have explored, and that was around the, the, the barriers area. You know, what gets in the way of engagement, firstly, and what, what does that look like at a team level? You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the research out there at the moment focuses on, on the individual in the organization. You know, engagement links to things like commitment and job satisfaction. And then there's another whole load of research that focuses on, on the organization and the organizational system and culture and then how that aids or, or blocks engagement. But very little work has been done in the space of the intact team and mm-hmm. what gets in the way of intact teams feeling highly engaged. So we, we saw an opportunity there to, to fill that gap and to do some work and also to reach a far bigger population building on the work that Amy had already done. Mm-hmm. Okay, lovely. And so um, how did you, what form did the research take, Sharon? Well, we started off by, um, by, by, by doing, um, uh, designing a methodology that looked at going into organizations and having a close look at their most engaged and their least engaged teams according to certain criteria that we had agreed up front. Mm-hmm. So it ended up us going into, into, into more than 28 organizations, 195 people, um, over a period of time, starting with two pilots. So we started, mm-hmm. we selected two organizations, and we, with the organizational um, HR people and the criteria that we'd set, which were the four levers um, of engagement from the original work of, of McLeod and the four enablers together with, with the organization's own engagement studies and, and mm-hmm. um, research that did internally. We then would sit together with the, with the engagement or HR people, select um, two teams that they felt were most engaged and two teams that were least engaged. And, and can I just would, ask you, sorry, Sharon, can I just interrupt a moment there just to ask you, yes. um, were these the teams that themselves felt they were most engaged and least engaged or the teams that the HR people in the organizations felt? I'm trying to understand who selected Yeah, who. it would be the people that the HR or the, or the leaders of the organization had felt, not the teams themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is an interesting observation because 
we there were quite a few incidences where we found that the organization had classified a team as least engaged or most engaged, but when we actually got to know the team, we discovered that to not to be true, that right. the information wasn't always right. But right. they selected these teams based on their own internal engagement surveys and, and looking at the teams through the, through the eyes of the four levers. So that was their opinion of it. There was an element of sort of subjectivity, although Absolutely. You say, it was also yeah. grounded in survey scores as well. Yes. Mm. yes. Interesting. Okay. And when did this begin? Yeah, so, we started, so we started with these pilot groups and then we refined our methodology. Um, mm. And then we went in and selected companies across the private sector, public sector, for profit, not for profit. We tried to get a really good mix of organizations. And whenever we went into an organization, we would look at teams that are comparable. In other words, the, the work that they did had to be more or less similar, and they had to be more or less at the same level, and similar size teams um, for, us to, to, for us to have a comparison of these right. engaged and least engaged teams. But we often ended up classifying them in a different space to where they were originally given to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, what, and when you went into the companies, what was your... What was what were you doing? Were you were you talking to them in a kind of one to ones or in group forums or, or Sam, what? Sam, would you like to maybe explain a bit yeah. on the methodology? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so to get a really varied view um, of these teams, we decided to do uh, first of all an observation of their team meetings. So mm-hmm. we asked them to act like we weren't there, and we sat in the corner and observed one of their weekly or monthly team meetings, however they do choose to do that. Uh-huh. Secondly, we had um, a one-to-one interview with the team leader on their own. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, we had a focus group with the intact team without the team leader there. Um, right. So that really allowed them to open up, um, be honest with us, because it was all anonymous. Um, mm-hmm. And within the focus group, we'd ask them to rate where they see themselves um, from one to five in terms of engagement as a team. Um, we asked them to describe their team through words. And we've used all that data together to, to get to where we are today with our um, report and the development of our diagnostics. Right, right. And so, so just to clarify, did you, did you do all of that in one day or did you kind of go back over a period of time? Yeah. Um, so it depends on the company and um, how much time they could give us. Um, mm-hmm. Some companies, if they could give us um, all the time in one day, we'd do it there and then. Mm-hmm. Um, a few we might have had to go back. But because we saw up to four teams in each organisation, we were going back anyway, so we, yes. it worked quite well. Yes. And did, they, did the teams ever know how they had been... Um, Viewed. I mean, did they know that they were yeah. being put forward as an engaged team or a disengaged team? I mean, most teams um, from traditional surveys, they're, they're told where they come within the company. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of the teams who I saw, um, they, they knew that they were in the lower quadrant of engagement within their whole organisation. So they openly knew that anyway. Um, but we didn't really frame it as, um, being a disengaged team, we framed it as that they have barriers to their engagement. 
and what could help to overcome these barriers and break them down. Right, I see, I see. Yeah, so you were trying to uncover the barriers and look at what might what might yeah. happen rather than, um, yeah, than necessarily getting drawn. Yeah, they weren't getting drawn into discussions about, well, you know, we they say we're least engaged, but actually we're not. We're really yeah, engaged. They didn't really no, get into no. that kind of thing. No, no. I understand. But, okay. but like Sharon said, it was interesting because some of the teams that were presented to us as being perceived high, actually mm-hmm. we felt they were actually very disengaged or, or vice versa or our two oh, new terms that we've came up with. Yes. Yes, which we're going to get onto in a moment, yeah. I think, because this sounds yeah. very intriguing. So, okay, um, is there anything you want to, anything more that either of you want to say before we move on to look at what the results of this research have have shown? I don't think no, I think it's just it was just interesting that uh, that there was quite a gap in, in quite a few of the teams, um, which makes one wonder about the accuracy of of the engagement surveys. You know, yeah, classifying teams as engaged and disengaged, mm. and uh, yeah. it, it led us to really look at all the. It's such a diversity of ways in which uh, organisations decide whether teams are engaged or not, and those scores. You know, quite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, quite and, interesting and, and, to see how they do this. Yeah. 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 Before we get into the results, then can I just ask, have you, have you gone back to the organisations HR teams and and sort of flagged to them that. They, those those teams you thought were least engaged actually don't seem to be, and vice versa. Or is that something that will gradually, you know, they will gradually get as you as you share the results? Yeah, um, yeah different, we, different organisations have um, different organisations have had feedback differently. But um, mm-hmm. for the ones I sat in on, um, it was part of the um, deal for them to do the research. We, we gave them aggregated kind of um, feedback. We didn't name any teams, but Mm-hmm. We'd, at a high level, we gave feedback. Yes, yes. Okay, lovely. Well, let's turn to the results, shall we? Can I start perhaps with you, Sharon, to just give us a little bit of um, some initial sort of um, flavour of what your findings were? Yeah, well, the first thing we found were three, three meta themes that I don't think were surprising at all that sort of underpinned all the different elements that we found. The first that were important for engagement to happen in a team. Uh, and those were that, first of all, that team members feel that they've got challenging and varied work. That seemed to be an overriding theme that we found everywhere. That mm-hmm. team members, if they feel a sense of stretch and challenge, but still competent to do it, in other words, not so stretched that they're feeling, that they're feeling overwhelmed, that that was a mm-hmm. definite lever for engagement. The second one was the climate of trust and safety. Uh, that the leaders brought to their teams, you know, the whole concept of psychological safety, that people mm-hmm. felt that they could be themselves and that they could speak their minds and felt mm-hmm. safe about making mistakes and so forth. And the third mm-hmm. one was the fact that the team leaders were, were leading by example and mm-hmm. and that they were walking the talk. So none of those knew, but those were three definite, I think, confirmatory themes that, that came through Right. Um, in all the interviews that we did. We then noticed two dimensions emerging which we found really interesting the first dimension was around the level of reactivity and proactivity in the behaviors of the team you know there were teams that were clearly victims mm-hmm. um, often blaming the system the new CRM system or the culture or the leaders of the organizations for their unhappiness and their disengagement and doing very little about it 
Mm-hmm. And then there were other teams that even although they were in a negative climate organizationally, as a team, were very proactive in saying, actually, we we really enjoy working together and we, we despite the system, we're going to be engaged and we're going to support each other and have fun together. And so the level of reactivity, proactive in terms of behavior was the one dimension. If you can think of this as a grid, we developed a, a, a two-by-two matrix, as all good business schools do. Mm-hmm. And and then the other dimension was, was around climate, the mood of the team, negative versus positive mood, um, mm-hmm. um, in the emotional bank account of the team, really, you know, how positive or negative, optimistic, pessimistic they were in the right. team. And so once we discovered these two dimensions, we were then able to do, to to allow these four, we call them zones of engagement to emerge. Uh, which we call the zone of disengagement, the zone of pseudo-engagement, the zone of contentment, and the zone of full engagement. Um, And this is the model that's really emerged from the research. Okay, okay. Um, Now, is is that something you can tell us a little bit more about? Would that be, is that something, Sam, you can can describe, or, or do you need to carry on with that, Sharon? Well, I thought I could maybe describe two of them, and then Sam can carry on. Okay. Um, so, 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 so we found, first of all, that many of the research um, papers out there took a binary approach to engagement, you know, from disengaged to engaged. How engaged are you on the scale, percentage-wise? Mm-hmm. And I think what we're bringing is a fresh look at engagement, is that we're saying it's not necessarily a binary thing from low to high engagement, but there's different kinds of engagement that mm-hmm. we have in organizations. Um, so sure, there's disengagement and there's engagement, which is two of our quadrants, but we also discovered something else um, that we've now named pseudo-engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, where if you look at those two dimensions, it would be teams that are very proactive. In other words, they're very actively doing things, mm-hmm. but they've got a very low team climate. So high on proactivity, but low on team climate or mood. So a negative, and, a negative mood, you mean? A negative mood, a negative right. mood, but still very proactive in their behaviours. And right. these are the okay. teams that give the illusion of being engaged. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we asked them rate your level of engagement on a five-point scale, they would give it a four out of five. Right. But when we digged a bit deeper, when we dug a bit deeper, we discovered that the engagement was an individual engagement. In other words, these were people that were engaged with their work and finding some meaning and purpose in their work individually but gave very little care for the team. Mm. It was all about me and my individual engagement and looking good to the boss and being able to give an image of being highly engaged and managing upwards so that I look good upwards. But in fact, backstabbing in the process, not supporting, blaming culture, negativity in the team, you know, making others look bad so they could look good. Um, so we call that the zone of pseudo engagement. So, so really Sharon, can I can I just this is fascinating. So, so just to understand, it's not. I was imagining what you were going to describe was that the team were terribly engaged with each other as a team, and it was almost kind of like us against the rest of the world. But what you're actually describing is it's a bit more dysfunctional than that. It is actually broken down at an individual level within that team. So there's no real sense yes. that the team is engaged, even though they're engaged with themselves as a team and, you know, don't really don't really engage with the wider world. But actually it's not that. It's actually individuals within that team are, are engaged with yes. what they're doing, but in a, almost in a kind of slightly toxic way. 
Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So individuals pulling in different directions. Okay. Um, all individually quite motivated. You know, for example, they're passionate about their work, um, mm. but but they but they will just make it as good as they can for themselves. You know, number one comes first, and that would that's me. And they would yes. use language like I versus we. We also that we also analyze the language that they used. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Very individualistic. Very focused on themselves and their own need for engagement and um and and and, and to the to the detriment of the team actually okay interesting i'm going to have to move us on because time is flying tell, yes, tell me yes. a little about the zone of contentment if you would yeah i can talk to you about that okay uh, thank you so, so with the zone of contentment we found that was um positive team climate but reactive behavior um, the way I describe this to people is um, they may come across on traditional engagement surveys, as most of the teams did, as highly engaged. But when you scratch the surface, um, we found that they're very much content. They're in their comfort zone. Um, these kind of teams would come to work, do the work, go home. Um, mm-hmm. They're very there to earn a wage. Um, you, would, you wouldn't really find this kind of team going the extra mile. They wouldn't stay past five o'clock if that's their finish time. Um, and also we found that longer serving team members can be really resistant to change. Um, and some also hold out for retirement, which again then changes the team from being engaged to what we're calling contented. Right. Um, so we had a lot yeah. of, um, for example, one one lady told us, um, oh, she doesn't care anymore. She's leaving soon. And right. that, that was their attitude. Just yeah. there, the job, go home. Mm. So there's a kind of sense that they're treading water. They're just, yeah, just content. Um, mm. I mean, they're not disengaged, but mm. they're definitely far from what, what we see as highly engaged teams. From, from what you talk about in terms of the normal yeah. binary, yeah. the binary level. Okay, yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. And these teams also, um, they get on with each other, but they just get on with each other at work. Um, for example, someone said, um, you work with everyone, you have to be professional, you have to be polite, you don't have to be friends outside work. That was very much their attitude. You just do what's expected of you in your working hours. Whereas mm-hmm. the engaged we found, they had WhatsApp groups, they were constantly doing fun stuff on weekends, social events, just chatting. It, it, it was completely a huge difference between contented and highly engaged. Mm. Mm. And was there a generation? Yeah, just thinking that, I mean, you talk about WhatsApp groups. Is there a, yeah. is there a no. generational aspect? No, no. I mean, they, they no. might, it might be a hub on that. No, no, no. Sorry, Sharon, yeah. what were you going to say? Now, I was just going to add, you know, there's very many definitions of engagement, but we viewed engagement from the definition Amy Armstrong developed in her first study, which was mm. a climate, an organizational climate, where people mm-hmm. want to give of their very best discretionary effort. I want to give more of myself because I want to, not because I have to. Mm. And if you look at it against that definition, a contented team would be finding engagement elsewhere in their life. Often on weekends they had hobbies and so forth. But work mm-hmm. was work was not where they got their their, their passion and their yeah. interest. So That's so they would do the bare minimum mm-hmm. and often stretch the workload and make it look, you know, as if they were busy and so forth. But um, 
and we're quite happy to do that. And often the organisation just lets them tick over uh, because they they were doing jobs where they could afford that. Mm. Uh, but in and some instances, the, it was a problem for the organisation. They needed more the from team these teams. Leaders, were the leaders, the team leaders, um, aware of this? Were they were they party to this? Were they make were they allowing it, or were they oblivious to it, or were they kind of equally as equally as pseudo or contented, depending on which group they're in? Um, in contented, I'd say that the team leaders did know about it, especially mm-hmm. the ones I I interviewed. Um, that some of the jobs, um, the the employees would and the team would t- tell us that the jobs were mundane themselves, um, and that they were just there for a wage, and that it was flexible with their kids, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they were aware. But I think because it worked, it got the job done. It it wasn't really an issue for them. Okay. Okay. Now, listen, I'm sorry to say we've only got five minutes left. I knew we were going to have a struggle to round this all in our time. So let's, I think there's obviously some really rich stuff in this report. We're not going to be able to talk about all of it here, um, which rather leads us on to ask, how can people find out more? I'm, I'm sure you're publishing something, aren't you, Sam? Yeah, we're, um, we're currently in the process of just fence proofing it, um, finishing off the, the images for it, um, and then we're hoping it'll be out. Uh, second week of November, hopefully, and it's going to be um, showcased at the Scotland Engage for Success event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're also working on a diagnostic, which um, is something else that's in the pipeline as well to accompany mm-hmm. our report. Okay, so let's let's so good. Okay, so the report will be launched at the Scottish Engage for Success conference. I think that's the 27th of November, if I remember yeah, rightly. Is. We had a show on that yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then obviously thereafter, things are going to be made available through the through the usual channels. And, and, yeah. and uh, so watch watch this space, I think, is probably the best thing to do. Watch LinkedIn, watch Twitter and so on. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about this diagnostic tool then, Sam. Okay. Um, so it's a 60-item tool that we've created based on our 2 by 2 kind of results that Sharon and I have spoke to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, so each of the four quadrants, you answer 15 statements to how much you agree with them as a team. So you do mm-hmm. it individually, but how you feel about in your team. For example, in our team, we are actively looking for solutions. That's one of them. You rate how much you agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to be using that, hopefully, um, in some of our programs, which Sharon can probably shed, shed a little bit of light on. Okay, lovely. Sharon, do you want to tell us a little bit more then about that? Yeah, so it's a, the idea would be that this diagnostic would be available on the on the on the free market. It's, we in partnership with Oracle, who's developing right. it for us. It will be so people would be able to download it and complete it at mm-hmm. no cost. And we will also be using it for leaders that come onto our Ashridge program. So they analyze their teams using the diagnostic. Then they bring the results with them to the program, and we help them then with practical tips and tools of how to manage people in pseudo-engagement or in contentment or in disengaged zones. Right, Practical right. ways of how to leverage that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds fascinating. It's uh, it, really interesting, actually. I should look forward to seeing that. And is that diagnostic tool going to be available around about the time that the report's published, or have we got to wait a little longer for that? Well, we're hoping to actually test this diagnostic at the event on the 27th of November, um, ah. We can't promise, but we're really trying hard to have it ready by then mm-hmm. to try it okay. out on, it, on, so, on the audience. Yeah. 
Right. So I'm imagining um, I'm imagining if Oracle are behind this in terms of support, this is a this is going to become some kind of online techie techie yes. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Fabulous. Yeah, so you'll have a spidergram. You'll have a spidergram showing the size of each quadrant of your particular team. Mhm. Mhm. And then, and then, so you'll get a snapshot of where you are. And then, obviously, if you're yes. on the, if you're kind of involved in the Ashridge course courses, you will work with your delegates to help say, well, where do we go with this? How can we address it? The, the sort of the wider population who might use the tool themselves, will they get any pointers, or have they got a have they got to kind of work it out? No, we've do we, in our research report. There's 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 about six or seven tips and tools that mm-hmm. are linked to each of the zones. So as so that would be also in the diagnostic. So once you get your results, you'll also get some ideas on what to do about it. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Not very well, detailed, but just I think some clues and tips. You know that will yeah. get to definitely help leaders to get on their way with it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a. It all sounds fascinating. I think the idea that we shouldn't really be looking at this as a sort of linear, um, you know, the sort of the binary linear journey yeah. from, from one extreme to the other. Um, and that actually it's much more faceted than that um, yeah. is, a, is a really interesting thing. And, um, and it will be fascinating, I think, for people to go through that diagnostic themselves and try and, you know, uncover some things and maybe discover the similar sort of surprises that the HR teams discovered in the organizations where you developed the research that, you know, actually you might imagine at first glance that these teams are on this linear road, but somewhere on this linear yeah. path, but actually, yeah. actually they're not. And they're in a, in a totally different place entirely. So, um, so no, that, that's great. So um, Sharon and, and Sam, we've literally come to the end of the show. Thank you both very much for joining us. It's, um, it's been great to have you on and thank you for sharing the where you've got to and do, um, do pass on our thanks to Amy as well for, for, for the work that's gone on. I know it's been going for a, quite a while, hasn't it? Um, and uh, look forward to hearing all about it um, once the Scottish event has, has, has uh, uh, been finished. So thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I just have to say goodbye now. So thank you. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank, thank you. you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.